You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good, yeah, it is so good to gather with you guys. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I get the opportunity to preach this morning. And this is a really cool morning because we are, this is the last sermon in our series, Greater. Now, who has enjoyed this series, right? Greater, it's pretty great, right? Pretty cool. Uh, Man, it has been a journey, In this series, we have seen Jesus calm the storm, not once, but twice. And the second time, he walked on the water. All right, we've seen him feed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him take command over sickness and disease. This has just been amazing. Let me tell you, I was so excited when I woke up this morning. So excited that as I was getting dressed... I completely didn't realize that my shirt is inside out. (laughs) I didn't have time to change. But let me just say, y'all let me just walk up here. No one said anything. You know, I actually got compliments that were like, wow, I really like your shirt today. And I'm like, wow, I look like a fool. How many of you have, have, have ever had that happen to you where you have... Yes, you have walked out of your house, you went to the grocery store, you went to school, and your shirt was on inside out. Oh, man. It's embarrassing, right? It is super embarrassing. You see all the the stitching, all the print is faded, and then you got these, like, little tags with the extra buttons that no one actually uses that are hanging there. I mean, man, when things are inside out, the, the behind the scenes become exposed, And in the same way, we as humans can be embarrassed or scared how to show people what's happening on the inside. We can control how we look on the outside, right, by wearing the nice clothes, by driving the nice cars, by eating the food, by by even the, the homes that we have, the things that we do. We can control what people see from the outside, but It's the inside is a whole nother story. If the outside is pleasing enough, hey, maybe you'll accept me. Maybe you'll think I'm just cool enough to hang out with you. But man, if I show you what's happening on the inside, maybe you won't like me. Maybe we won't be friends anymore. And the list goes on. Who's been there before? Right? If I truly show you who I am, things will be different. Well, in today's passage we meet up with some old acquaintances that we haven't seen in a while. And you see, these guys are some of the most polished people that you will ever meet, okay? They are the rule followers, they have the titles, and everything they do is perfect on the outside. But today, Jesus will challenge them, and he's also going to challenge us to look inside out. Are you ready to dive in this morning? Let's go. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Chapter 7 of the book of Mark begins with some old acquaintances, right? We see it's the Pharisees and the scribes who've gathered to him. And the scribes are coming all the way from Jerusalem. And you can check that out on a map later, but it's pretty far, okay? And the last time we see these guys, it is in Mark chapter 3. And well, here are the Pharisees. Here's a little picture, right? These are the, the holy guys right here. Um, they're the religious teachers and they're the directors of the people of Israel. They made sure that the Jewish people lived a life that was holy and that was set apart for the Lord. And that they were also separate from the surrounding nations. They did that through teaching the law and practical rules on living a holy life before God. You see, life was very black and white, right or wrong, rules-based, and orderly programs. Now when Jesus arrives on the scene, he begins to shake up their worldview. As Jesus grows in popularity, their authority becomes threatened. You see, people are rushing to see Jesus perform miracles. They're rushing to hear him teach on things that they've never heard before. In the last time we meet these guys in Mark chapter 3, they are so hardened toward Jesus that they literally meet with each other and the Herodians, and they, and they talk about how can we destroy this guy? He is cramping our style. He is messing things up. How can we destroy him? So here we are. Four chapters later, Pharisees, scribes, they make their trip from Jerusalem to confront Jesus, who is out in public eating with this, his disciples. And what do they confront Jesus about? Hand washing. Hand washing. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. So now when your kids approach the dinner table without washing their hands, you can say to them, son, why do you approach the table with defiled hands? <laughs> the what? Yeah, okay. There you go. That one's for free. But you see, this was a huge deal to the religious leaders because hand-washing was a part of the tradition of the elders that all Jews were to follow. So you may have heard of the law of Moses, but today we're going to be talking a lot about the tradition of the elders, okay? So let's talk about the differences between the two. So the law was given by God to Moses in the Old Testament, it's the first five books of the Bible, and the Jews would also call this the Torah. And these were the law, the purpose of the law, it was guidelines for how the Israelites were to live as God's people after being enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 years. So when they, get out of, when they came out of Egypt as free people, they needed some guidance at how are we supposed to live? What does it look like to be God's people? So these were guidelines. And the motivation for the law was love. Now the tradition of elders, let's take a look at this, okay? It's oral tradition that derived from Scripture. So it came from Scripture, but they added a little twist on it. So this was unscriptural law. 
This was passed down by elders or rabbis and teachers throughout history. And the purpose of the tradition of elders, well, they would fill in the gaps and cover all aspects of human living. Because the law didn't cover absolutely everything that you do in a day, right? If you were to create a law for absolutely everything, the law would be massive, right? So the tradition of elders was motivated by holiness. And it basically was like this. Imagine I invite you to dinner and I say, yeah, why don't you, you know, come to dinner and, you know, wear something nice. And that's all I give you. And then you go home and you're like, cool. He said, wear something nice. What does nice mean? What does nice mean? So you, you pull out all your outfits that look nice and you're like, okay, does he mean like fancy? Does he mean business casual? Does he mean like nice, like we're going out on the boat later? Should I wear a, a sport coat? Should I wear a tie? Are we going to, like, what does he mean by nice? So this is what you decide to do, okay? You're like, just to be safe, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wear the nicest suit that I own, all right? I'm going to dress up for this occasion. He said nice, so here we are, nice. But I'm also going to fill my car with a bunch of other outfits just in case, just in case I look like a fool. That's what the tradition of elders was. God gave instructions for holy living, but the law didn't cover all aspects of human life. So the elders added laws and traditions on top of the law. Better safe than sorry. You know, I, I think it's good to be too holy than not holy enough. You know what I'm saying? The tradition of elders mapped out the boundaries of holy living, and the Pharisees were the border guards. They were keeping watch of it. And in these, there is a lot of traditions, and we're going to learn about a few today. And the first one that we see is hand washing. Again, this isn't for sanitary purposes, all right, but this is for holy purposes. You see, certain items, foods, places that you would go to, and people were considered unclean. If you touch something unclean, then you are unclean, and in order to clean again, you wash. Seems pretty simple enough, right? So you would have to wash in order to become clean, and some people went beyond the hand washing and did full body immersion washing in these ceremonial baths called mikvahs just to make sure that every part of their body was clean. And what we also learn here is that it didn't just, it wasn't just for the hands, for the body, but people also washed. There was also ceremonial washing for cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. There was a lot of tradition. And this hand washing that we see, it derives from Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 19. So this is, this is some of the law that we're talking about, okay? Scriptural law. In verse 19 it says this, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. Who is being instructed here? Aaron and his sons, who have been assigned as the priesthood of Israel. 
So this law was given to the priests of the temple, but the Pharisees and religious leaders decided that this no longer pertains only to the priests, but you know what, we're going we're to tell everybody to do it. Because we want everyone to be holy, we're going to ask all Jews to do this. Even though this isn't scriptural law, it's tradition. We're just asking everyone to do it, and we're expecting all Jews to do it. And here's the thing, if you didn't follow these traditions, you risk breaking your fellowship with God and becoming like the pagans. All right, so back to our story. Jesus is out in public with his disciples. They're eating food, but like we read, some of Jesus' disciples do not wash their hands. They broke tradition. (gasps) Everyone with me now. They broke tradition. I know, that's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes did. So they walk in just at the right moment where they notice, oh my gosh, guys, check it out. That's Jesus and his disciples over there. They didn't wash their hands. You know what that means? We can confront this guy. We've come all this way and we can finally confront him for being a rule breaker. And what we have to understand, friends, is that in those times, the teacher was responsible for the actions of his disciples. So it was almost as Jesus himself wasn't washing his hands. All right, feel the tension? Here it goes. They're all ready. They walk over to Jesus' table and they say, Hey, Jesus. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Everyone around Jesus and the religious leaders go quiet. The teacher just got called out. What's he going to say? How is he going to defend himself? Well, let's see. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus responds, but notice he doesn't answer their question. He doesn't engage with their game of their games of rules and tradition. Instead, Jesus goes deeper into the heart of the matter. He exposes the religiosity by sharing a prophecy from Isaiah that they would know well. You see, they call him out for not following the rules, but Jesus calls them out for having the appearance of holiness, but with their heart, it's far from me. They were doing all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, their heart was not in the right place. They teach laws of men as doctrine. They were elevating those traditions as if it were the word of God, and even above that, they are hypocrites. Hypocrites literally means to give an impression of having certain purposes or motivations while in reality having quite different ones. To pretend, to act. Jesus is saying, you guys are pretending. You guys are acting. The Pharisees and scribes were pretending and the thing about hypocrisy that we see is that it comes out in two different ways. 
The first way is that someone is deliberately trying to fool you. They know what they're doing on the outside, but, and they also know what's going on on the inside. But the second way, a person can be so self-deceived that they don't realize the motivations of their heart. And the first thing that we learn here is that the teacher, Jesus, he cares for the motivation of the heart. Traditions aren't bad. One could say that we need tradition. We need the structure and order that tradition brings. And this is not a message to bash tradition because Jesus doesn't even bash it here. But when tradition is elevated above God's word, his commands, that's where we run into problems. And I found uh, this quote that I would love to share with you guys I think is really appropriate when it comes to tradition. David Garland says this, he says, One may compare tradition to the shell of a blue crab. To live and grow, it must shed its shell from time to time. Until it creates a new shell, the crab is extremely vulnerable. But if the shell becomes so strong and rigid that the crab cannot escape, that is the shell in which it dies. Losing traditions that make one feel safe and comfortable can cause great anxiety, but hanging onto traditions so that one becomes hard-shelled, well, that is fatal. Church, just like the Pharisees, we have religious traditions that we've grown up with, and we have the temptation to treat those things as gospel But we need to be asking ourselves these questions when it comes to tradition. One, is this rooted in scripture? Two, does this align with God's heart? Three, do I approach God's word through the lens of my traditions? And this is important, friends, because it is so easy to open this word and to look at it through the lens of our traditions and have God's word answer what we believe to be true. But do we let, but are we using scripture as the lens that we are viewing everything else? Do I approach God's word through the lens of my traditions? And number four, what is the motivation of my heart? Another thing that we want to be careful of is looking down on others who do things differently than we do. Right? Religious Traditions are our best attempt to apply God's word, but none of us, none of us are going to have it right on this side of heaven. So let's not be people who, who look to other people and be like, huh, they still do it that way. Or, oh man, they're, they're doing it. They're too new. Too new stuff is going on there. Right? We don't want to be those kinds of people. If we scoff, we can't scoff at others' traditions because only God knows the motivation of their hearts because the teacher cares for the motivation of the heart. Jesus is doing some heart work today, and he continues to dig into the heart of the matter. You see, Jesus isn't finished with the Pharisees yet. They were completely caught off guard by this hypocrite's response, right? They're like, we were just asking a question. How dare Jesus say that we are hypocrites? Doesn't he know that we live holy lives? And not only are we concerned about our holy living, but we're so concerned for the, for the holy living of all of Israel and for all Jews. How dare he make such a claim? So to help them understand where he's coming from, he continues. 
And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Y'all, I don't know what was in Jesus' pita today, but he is on fire. He is spicy today. Jesus shares an illustration of how they reject God's command. And I love the way that he just says it. He, he's telling them in a nice way. You are being, you know, in a crafty way. You are being sneaky. You have a fine way of rejecting it. And that's why you're deceived, because you're sneaky. So here's the situation. One of the Ten Commandments is to, and that's found in the law, is to honor your father and mother. And Moses also says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now, a Jew had a responsibility to honor and care for his father and mother, especially in their old age. He would provide for them, take care of them, or, or if they were sick, that was the responsibility of a Jew. Now we're introduced to another custom here, and this custom is called Corbin. That is given to God. Corbin, it was the practice of devoting property or wealth to the Lord. And at the death of the person who made that vow, those dedicated goods would be handed over to the temple. It's kind of like deferred giving as we know it today. In the meantime, as the person was living, the person who makes the vow has control over the wealth or property, but he can't use the funds to help out other people. He can use the funds for himself, but because it's devoted to God, he can't use it for anyone else. So once, so once something was vowed as Corbin, the Pharisees highly discouraged people from retracting their vow to return it back to common use. They discouraged it so much that they would even charge a fee to do it. They would charge you a fee. You see, the vow itself was not necessarily a bad thing. For someone to devote their, their wealth or their property to God, like that wasn't a bad thing. But here's where Jesus says they reject God's commandments. A person could escape the obligation to provide for his mother and father who are in need due to an illness or old age because their resources have been dedicated to God. Basically, the son is using the God card. Sorry, mom and dad, you know, man, I know you've fallen on hard times. I know you can't provide for yourselves anymore. But hey, you know, all the wealth that I have it's Corbin. It's been given to God. So, man, I, I guess I can't, I, can't do you. I can't do anything for you. And notice Jesus' language here. He's not coming down on the sun, but he says, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. You do this. The son could very well be making this vow of Corbin spitefully to avoid his obligation, but it's the Pharisees who have made this possible. The Pharisees elevated the custom over God's law where breaking Corbin was more of a sin than dishonoring your father and mother. What? 
What? This custom forbid the son from doing what God commanded. And that was on the Pharisees. Jesus says, you make the word of God void, empty. When you're elevating that, you are making God's word void. And the second thing we learn here, friends, is that the priority of man-made tradition is a rejection of God's word. The priority of man-made tradition is a rejection of God's word. So how does this apply to us? The question I want us to reflect on is, who or what are we faithful to? Are we faithful to man-made tradition or to the authority of God's word? And here's the thing, when we prioritize religious tradition, we create a border around God's word and we no longer hold each other, each other accountable to God's word, but to tradition and religion. And we make it difficult for people trying to learn about who Jesus is and who are trying to follow him. When we elevate tradition, we make it about ourselves and not about him. Friends, the last thing I want to do is hinder another person's ability to follow Jesus because of my religion, my religious expectations. You know, I have a, a story of um, my Sunday school teacher back in Canada, where I'm from, and uh, he, so I grew up in a very traditional Italian church, okay, where everybody wore suits, and that was the expectation every single week. When you, come to, when you come to the church building, you need to wear a suit. My Sunday school teacher, he had just immigrated from Honduras, and he was looking for a church to be a part of. So he walks into this church one day, and he sits down, and they go through the songs, and then about halfway through, an usher comes up to him, taps him on the shoulder, and says, hey, next time you're in the house of the Lord, you wear a suit or you don't come here again. Yikes. And the motivation of that man's heart, of that usher's heart, he was thinking, well, we're coming to the house of the Lord. We're going to be respectful, and I want everybody to be respectful to the Lord. And thank God my Sunday school teacher had tough skin because he came back. He came back with a suit. But man, if that were somebody else, that could have completely ruined someone's desire to even approach the Lord. That is a perfect example right there of elevating tradition above God's word. It's the word of God that changes and transforms a life. The Pharisees were so concerned about what was happening on the outside, but Jesus challenges to look inside out because the things we do on the outside can mask what is going on the inside. And in our last few verses, Jesus directs his attention to the crowd and to his disciples. He's done talking with the Pharisees, and now he's talking to everyone. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, 
There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Deja vu, friends. Don't you see it? Jesus, the teacher, teaches the crowd and his disciples through a parable. We've seen this a lot in the series before this one called The Movement, where Jesus was teaching through these parables. And this parable has to do with one more Jewish custom that we learn, and it has to do about the cleanliness of food. You see, there were certain foods that were unclean and should not be eaten. This was another law to ensure the purity of the people of Israel. You see, if the Israelites were pure on the outside, then God would be pleased. They would be distinct from other nations, and they would stay clear of the influence of pagans. This was a keep-everyone-out mentality. But Jesus flips their traditions upside down when he says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Defilement, friends, is not what comes in, but it's what comes out. This was a drop-the-mic moment. Jesus makes this huge statement. What does he do next? He enters the house. Basically, modern day times, Jesus would have left the chat. Jesus would have left the chat. And what's interesting is that even Jesus' disciples did not fully grasp what Jesus was getting at. You see, these men were Jews. In Jewish tradition, they grew up understanding the laws, understanding the traditions. They were taught in law, and they were also taught in, their, in trade. From a young age, they were taught these things. So when they hear Jesus say this, they were like, ah, oh, Jesus, hold on one second. Can, can, you, can you elaborate on this? Have you ever had a core belief challenged before? Something that you've went your whole life believing and then somebody shares something with you that gets you to think about it and you're like, oh my gosh, have I been wrong this whole time? This is what's happening to our disciples here. It's happening to them right now. Because the disciples were without understanding because if Jesus was saying what they thought he was saying, that would be a radical change in their Jewish belief system. You know, we can get down on the disciples as we're reading because we're like, because Jesus says, are you also without understanding? Some of your Bibles may say, Jesus might say, are you that dull? <laughs> like, oh, man, he's spicy today. Are you that dull that you still don't get it, right? We read it that way, but understand, friends, these are people who 
have the traditions and laws just embedded in their hearts. They know that so well. And for Jesus to say, hey, it's not what comes in that defiles you, but it's what comes out. Jesus takes time to explain quite literally, okay? If you enjoy biology, you're going to enjoy this next part. It's not what you eat or what you drink that defiles you. You see, the things you eat or drink make their way through the digestive system, and then they come out the other side. You're just literally talking about poop, everyone, okay? Let's just all laugh here. So what sense is there to place so much of an emphasis on the cleanliness of what you put into your mouth if it's not going to stay in your body? Food and drink don't touch the heart. Rather, focus on the things that do touch the heart. It was easy for religious teachers to point out the outwardly things that made someone unclean. But whoever talked about the inward things? Friends, it's easy for us to focus on the outward things and look good and that are pleasing in the eyes of religion and tradition and men. I raised my hand in church today while we were singing. I go to church every single Sunday. Don't miss it. Go to community group every single week. But if stuff is going on on the inside that we ain't taking care of, what's the point? If we're not allowing the word of God to change what's in here, what is the point? Jesus confronts the traditions and beliefs of the Jewish people because they place all of their focus on the minute details. What Jesus has been saying since the beginning of the passage is that the purity of your heart is greater than the holiness of your hands. The purity of your heart is greater than the holiness of your hands. You see, and this isn't the first time Jesus talks about the heart. And let me tell you, it's not going to be the last time he talks about it. In another encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees, he says this in Matthew 12, verse 34. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your heart. Because it's out of the heart of man that come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. It's the sin that man conceives in his heart and then commits that defiles him. You see, when the heart is evil, then what comes out? It's evil. But if the heart is good, then what comes out? will be good. And listen to me, friends. Jesus isn't saying that your actions don't matter. But if you're only focused on the outside and not the inside, you deceive yourselves. We deceive ourselves. Jesus came to change us from the inside out. And when I say pay attention to your heart, There's a difference between paying attention to your heart and then listening to your heart. But we direct our heart's attention. 
right? The heart is wicked above all things, but even we see in the Psalms how, how David directs his heart and he directs his attention to the Lord, right? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And he prays, God, make my heart clean. Make in me a clean heart. He directs his heart. So how do we clean a heart? If we're supposed to pay attention to our heart, if we're supposed to ensure that our heart is clean, well, how do we do that? Because in Jewish custom, if something was unclean, what would you do? Wash your hands, or you would go to the mikvah and you would dip three times in the water and be like, cool, I'm clean. But for the heart, you can't rip your heart out of your chest, dip it in some water, and then shove it back into your chest, right? So, so what, Jesus? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? And here we see a foreshadowing of what Jesus is getting ready to do. The law that was given to Moses was God's first covenant with Israel. But in the book of Jeremiah, God says that he is about to bring in a new covenant with his people. I love this. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when you will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. He's talking about the law here. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will Remember their sin no more. Praise God. Praise God, friends. Jeremiah is prophesying Jesus. He is prophesying that God would send his son to sacrifice his life so that he would be made clean and that we would, that we would be made clean and brought into his family. How do we clean a heart? Jesus. There is nothing physically that you can do, that I can do, that we can do to clean a heart. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, like we've been singing, when we co commit our lives to him and believe in him, the Bible says he will forgive us our iniquity and won't remember our sins. Isn't that amazing? As humans, we remember our sins. We have the temptation to hold grudges. But God knows us inside and out. He knows your heart. He knows every thought. He knows everything that you're going through. And he says, I will forgive your iniquity and I will, won't remember your sins. Praise God. He washes us clean and gives us new life. We get clean by coming to him. One more thing I want to point out is this line that Mark adds in parentheses. Thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Mark is writing to a Gentile audience, right? So he's writing to people like us, people who are not Jews. 
the statement is powerful because this is getting us to look at another story that's happening in Acts chapter 10. And this is after Jesus died, rose again, sends out his disciples, right, to, to preach Jesus to the world. And Peter is on a housetop one day praying, and he receives this vision from God. And what's rolled out before him is this table of all these foods that for the Jewish person, it would be considered unclean. And Peter, being the devout Jew that he is, but he's, he's a follower of Jesus, but being the devout Jew that he is, he's like, Lord, like, I'm not going to eat these things. And then three times it happens where God says, kill, kill and eat. Kill and eat this food. And Peter said, no, Lord, I can't. I can't eat what is unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And why that's important, friends, is because this was to illustrate God's covenant with his people extended to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. It's no longer just for a small group of people, but now... God makes it available to everyone, to Jew and Gentile. So the sentence that Mark slips in is a foreshadowing that this new covenant, God will make extends cultural barriers. What sets God's people apart is not the holiness of their hands. It's not, what they, it's not the perfection of the outside, but it's the work that happens on the inside. It's the purity of our hearts. The purity of your heart is greater than the holiness of your hands. And what is the purity of our hearts, friends? It's Jesus. It is Jesus. Jesus is greater. He is greater. Man, we've learned a lot today. We have learned a lot. And Jesus, he's speaking and he's calling us today. So my question for us to reflect on is, what is in your heart? I want us to take time to, as the band plays and and sings quietly in the background, I want us to take time to reflect and ask God, Lord, search my heart. That's another psalm where he says, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. And as we, and I would like for us to do this before we take communion, and communion is a tradition that we see in scripture as well, and this was actually started by, by Jesus himself on the night that he was betrayed. And he gets together with his, he gets together with his disciples and he has this meal. And the church has been doing this for thousands of years and will continue to do it until he comes back because we're reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And this is a family meal. This is for people who have committed their lives to Jesus and have made that decision to follow him. But maybe you're in that place this morning. Maybe after hearing today, maybe you're saying to yourself, I've never made that decision, but I want to. God's arms are wide open to you. There's no hoops that you need to jump through. There's no rituals that you need to perform on you in order to to join the family. But he says, believe in your heart and follow me. And if that's you today and you want more information about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, 
encourage you, come talk to me. Come talk to one of our pastors, elders, or even the person that brought you here this morning. But I'm going to pray for you this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing this message. And maybe some, some things that, you, that we need to pray for today or that you need to pray for today is, God, what is the motivation of my heart? Lord, search me and, and show me what is my heart motivation. Lord Jesus, what are the sinful things that I need to ask forgiveness for? Is it deceit? Is it foolishness? Is it immorality? Lord, what is it in my heart that I need to ask forgiveness for? What do we prioritize above you? Whatever it is, God forgives us. So in this reflection time, this isn't us feeling bad about ourselves, church, but this is doing a heart check. This is doing a heart check and then thanking God afterwards and saying, Lord, you are greater than these things. I thank you, God, that you have forgiven us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you continuously forgive, that you continuously clean our hearts, Lord Jesus, when we come and we turn to you. So let's take this time. Let's reflect. Let's ask God what is in our hearts. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.